Thank you to our band, and thank you all for being here today. We are in part two of a six-part series that we are calling The Truth About Church. The Truth About Church, and we as a local church, we spend a lot of time talking about what it means to be a church because we, the people who make up a local church, we so often lose sight. We forget what we're supposed to be about. You know, in the busyness of life and going to work and paying bills and taking kids to this and that, we can forget so easily what we're supposed to be about as a church. And so our goal in this series, The Truth About Church, is to get better as one local church, to get better at being a local church. Last week, we started off our series with a message called The Perfect Church. And we talked about why it is that there's no such thing as a a perfect church, and there are so many reasons why no church can be perfect, but we discussed one issue in particular, this whole leadership dynamic, where in so many local churches, you have leaders that just don't want to lead, and followers that just don't want to follow, and when that takes place, you just have kind of chaos, and the church kind of implodes in on itself. And we spent a lot of time talking about one, one verse in Scripture, Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders. And submit, there's our favorite word, right? And submit to their authority. You know, it is a burden to lead. It is a challenge to submit. But where there is trust, where there is confidence, then there is a willingness to follow. And we discussed the fact last week that the ideal leadership dynamic, that it all hinges on trust. Trust one another. We talked about the fact that submitting doesn't mean you're not allowed to have questions, right? you got to go along with whatever your leaders say. No, 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 no. You're allowed to have questions. Questions are good. It's just when you have a question, what do you do with it? You ask. You ask your leader, right? You don't invent an answer. You don't start spreading rumors. Instead, if you have a question, you just ask. Ask your leader. And if we could do that one thing as a church, we get that much closer to becoming the ideal, the ideal church. Now, in the lead-up to this message series, I told you a couple things. I told you that this was the most important message series that I've ever prepared. And I told you that because, well, I believe it is. The other thing I told you is that this is the most personal message series I've ever prepared because this message series is based on my personal experiences in ministry. I did a bit of uh, math this week, and I arrived at a frightening conclusion. It turns out that I have been in vocational ministry for over, just over, 20 years. Oh, oh. I don't know. I don't know about that. 20 years? Are you kidding me? And I still feel like a novice at this, right? Maybe when I get to that 40-year mark, I'll start to figure out what I'm doing here. But 20 years, and that 20-year time period, it's, it's evenly divided. That first 10 years was before hope, and then it's been 10 years with hope. And when I look back at those 10 years, I mean, it started out in youth ministry and in children's ministry and small group ministry. And in those first 10 years, I was finishing my degree at Philadelphia Biblical University and then finishing my master's through Liberty, Liberty Seminary. And so that was that 10 years. And so that whole 10 years was really like prep work, <laughs> getting ready for this, getting ready to start Hope Community Church. And those first 10 years didn't prepare me for every challenge I would face as a church planter, but it did prepare me for a lot. And one thing Bible college and seminary did prepare me for those first 10 years of experience. They prepared me for the fact that if I was going to do this thing 
start a church or plant a church, are you familiar with that terminology, to plant a church? If I was going to do this thing, I was going to face opposition. I was going to face opposition. If you take a look at the blurb in the back of your bulletin, today's message is called Opposition. It states that it's an absolute given. Whenever you endeavor to do anything good in this world, especially in the name of Jesus, you will face opposition. You will face pushback, naysaying, criticism, complaining. It is part of the package deal when you set out to do something good. Now, not everyone would agree that what we've set out to do here is good, but I think it is, right? And so we knew, I knew going into this, that there would be opposition. Now, next week, I'm going to get into some of the specifics about our church's vision and our church's mission right here in our community. Uh, But to put it simply and plainly for today, um, the idea behind Community Church was simple. I think it was simple. At least it seemed simple at the time. Because we wanted to start a church for people who aren't already Christians. The mentality is this. People who are already Christians, well, they can connect to any church that already exists, right? So let's start a church for people specifically who aren't already Christians. Now, we wanted the elevator at our church to go all the way to the ground floor. Do you know what I mean by that? Because we don't have a literal elevator here, right? Go all the way to the ground floor, right? Some local churches, when you connect with them, it's like they expect you to already be a Christian, to already be familiar with the Bible. It's like you're starting at the fourth floor as you walk through those doors. But we wanted to give people ground access to Jesus. Come in here. You've never opened a Bible before. You've never heard anything about church life. Just to have that ease of accessibility, right? Let's start a church for people who aren't, who aren't already Christians. That was the idea. If you take a look at that blurb, it continues. Over the past 10 years of pastoring a church plant, opposition has been a constant. But the source of that opposition may surprise you. Now, I say may surprise you because if you are somebody that's familiar with the Bible then the source of this opposition probably won't surprise you. There were a lot of uh, assumptions made about the source of opposition before you set out to start a church or to pastor a church. Um, I had some Christian people warn me about uh, the opposition that I might face, and you know, I might face some oppositions from um, like the atheist or the agnostic or the, the anti-religious community, you know, maybe even from the um, progressive community, for lack of a better term, Um, People that believe that Christianity is irrelevant or antiquated. And so I was warned, hey, you might face opposition from that community. I was also warned about opposition from um, the Catholic community uh, here in southern Delaware County, specifically in Ridley-Innerboro. There was a strong Catholic population, and so I was like, okay, going into Catholic territory, you might get some pushback from the Catholic community. Uh, I was warned about uh, maybe from the Jewish community or the Muslim community, but really we don't really have a, a, a strong population of Jewish people or Muslims right here. I mean, it's a little bit more than than we had 10 years ago. But so I was warned about all these things. And and maybe we'd we'd face some opposition from the government, right? A government standing in the way of churches, planting and churches starting. And so, you know, there were all these assumptions about what I might face and where the opposition might be. But I'm here to tell you that, that I have not personally had to deal with any opposition from any of those people groups. Nobody's given me a hard time from the, the atheist agnostic community, right? Because nobody's really cared. <laughs> the response has been like just neutral to apathetic. Nobody, nobody's really cared in terms of like some kind of a progressive pushback or people who want to see the church dismantled. Like I haven't, I haven't faced oppression from, from that. I haven't faced any oppression from the government. 
I mean, maybe you have. Again, this is based on my personal experience. Maybe in your life and trying to do good or trying to do the will of Jesus, you face pushback from different people groups. But I can say for me, in planting a church, I have not faced opposition from different religions or from the government or from progressives or from any one of those different communities. But there has been opposition. And that opposition has all come from within the Christian community. 100%. 100% of the opposition that I've had to deal with has come from within the Christian community. It's been the Christians naysaying, criticizing, giving me a hard time, pushing back. Now, last week, I mentioned that this whole message series is not about church bashing. And I want you to know that today's message is not about Christian bashing. I just want to tell you the truth and paint a clear picture of what's been going on behind the scenes for the past 10 years. And so here's the dilemma that we're faced with as Christians. There is this, there is this unavoidable hurdle that all of us American Christians face. Okay? We all face this hurdle. And if we don't get past this obstacle, if we don't jump over this hurdle, then we, Christian people, we become our own greatest enemy. We tear one another down, we naysay, we critique, we criticize, we oppose, we destroy from within. I am convinced, and you might disagree, but I am convinced that the greatest threat to the church is found within the church. And so today, it's not about Christian bashing because uh, I am one. (laughs) That's not what we're here to do. Today is not about Christian bashing. Instead, today, what I want to do is take a look at this hurdle That this obstacle, again, if we don't get past this hurdle, get past this obstacle, we become our own worst enemy. And so we're going to take a look at this hurdle and find a way to jump over it and move beyond that obstacle. But before we get into the details of what this hurdle looks like, let me first describe to you this opposition that I've received from Christians, the pushback that I've received from the Christian community. Let me start by telling you this. It's not been that bad. It's not been awful, right? You know, I don't want to exaggerate here. You know, I say, oh, it's been so bad and Christians are beating me. No, not really. It hasn't been that bad. I mean, mildly annoying maybe, right? It's not been that bad. Especially what I consider what other people have had to endure, right? There are church planters and pastors and Christian authors there that have had to endure much more opposition from Christians than I have. You know, in my case, it's not been that bad. I think about, I think about Tim Keller. Do you know that name, Tim Keller, Dr. Tim Keller? I think about the work that he's accomplished, and here he is, this pastor up at a, a church in New York City, you know, dealing with people who are very smart, dealing with people who are intellectuals and have studied well and who know their stuff, and here he, he's making the gospel accessible to them. And he's letting them know you don't have to check your brain at the door. He's making a reason, a logical argument for God and for the God of the Bible and for Christ. And I think about the tens of thousands of people who know Jesus because of this man's sacrifice and this man's ministry. But if you go online and do a Google search on Tim Keller, what do you find? Tim Keller has crossed the line. Tim Keller defies Scripture. Tim Keller does this. Tim Keller does that. And I'm like, really? We're going to tear this guy down? You know, all this criticism, where is it coming from? From within the Christian community, tearing down this guy who's done so much 
for the kingdom. What I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed it too, that you hear this criticism of there, there are people that have, have done so little for Jesus, tearing down people who have done so much. Have you noticed this? I think about my close personal friend, Andy Stanley, whom I've never met. I mean, here's this guy, and he came, you know, he's one of the guys that came up with this whole idea of ground-level access, presenting the gospel to people who don't yet know Jesus, presenting Jesus to people who have never picked up a Bible in their lives. And he's done this so wonderfully, without compromising sound doctrine. He's made the gospel accessible. He's made Jesus accessible to all that he's done in the tens of thousands of people who know Jesus because of this guy's sacrifice. Do you know this guy had it made in the shade? He went to Dallas Theological Seminary. He could have got a job at his dad's church and made some money and just coasted. But instead, he sacrificed all that to minister to people who weren't yet Christians. What an amazing work that he's done. And what has he received? Backlash. He's crossed the line. This isn't sound. That is all these accusations. Goodness gracious. Do you know how easy it is to make an accusation when you don't have to back it up? Who? What is this culture that we have? This culture of criticism. What about my buddy Francis Chan? Another guy I've never met, right? Francis Chan and the work that he's done within the Christian community. This call to go back to what Scripture says, right? I mean, so many Christians, we're living out our Christianity based on kind of what we think a Christian should be. And here's this guy writing these books and saying, we need to get back to how Scripture defines Christianity. This call to get back to what was this supposed to be. This dismantling of modern Christianity. Let's get back to the Bible and the tens of thousands of lives that he's impacted. And yet the same thing, you do that Google search. Oh, Francis Chan has crossed the line. Francis Chan does this. Francis Chan is wrong. What is going on? Stop it. People that have accomplished so little. Christians. They've accomplished so little for the kingdom, tearing down people that have accomplished so much. And I could go, we could spend the rest of our afternoon here talking about all the people who get torn down by the Christian community. People are doing so much. Now, none of these people are Jesus, by the way. None of these people are perfect, by the way. You know, when they write their books and when they give their messages, it's not Scripture. It's not Scripture at all. Only Scripture is infallible. Only Jesus is perfect. When I think about the contribution, the fruits that's been produced, and to see how ugly it's been, how ugly we can be toward people doing so much. Why is this a part of our culture as Christians? What, what are we doing? Why are we tearing down people who are accomplishing so much? And so here I am as a pastor of a little church in Ridley Park, and we've been doing this for 10 years, and we planted this church, and when I consider what I've had to deal with, it is nothing. <laughs> it is nothing compared the pushback, the opposition, and the naysaying, and the criticism that others have had to endure. I wasn't planning to tell you this, but I actually, I started a letter to Andy Stanley. I never sent it to him. Like, this is great. Just like when I'm reading, like, why are people tearing him down? He's like, I'm so sorry, and you're doing good work. I'm like, ah, he's not going to read this. Anyway, I think I saved it. I still have it. I might get back to it. But when I consider what other people have had to endure, the criticism, the baseless accusations, like, well, I haven't really... And what I've experienced is just the, the, tiniest, the tiniest taste of opposition in comparison. You know, when starting out, one of the things that I was told by Christians, starting out a, a new church, I was told, well, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't just start a church. And I was told by Christians, you can't just start, you can't just start a church. And I said, well, well, why not? Why can't I? Churches start all the time, all around the country, all around the world. And maybe just because 
here in the ridley Interbury area, we're not used to seeing something like that. Like, we're more used to seeing churches close and not begin. I was like, yeah, why can't I? Now, I was told um, <clears throat> in our first few years as a church, and occasionally I still get this pushback, this criticism, uh, I've been told that um, you're taking people from our church. You're taking people from our church, right? I see some of you smiling back there. <laughs> you're taking people from our church. My response is always the same to that. Take them back. <laughs> take them back. You know, I don't have the power to take anybody from any other church. It's just like you don't have the power to take them back. That's not, that's not, that's not what we're about here. No. Then there are all these expectations that people put on me about what you need to do and what you need to have in order to be a church. I was told that you need to have a building before you can be a church. Says who? Says who? I mean, we just so happen to have one now, but like, is that, is that a requirement? I was told that before you can start, well, you need to have a worship leader. I'm like, eh, eh I don't think so. <laughs> Says who? We'll figure it out as we go. You need to have your children's ministry figured out. You need to have your youth ministry figured out before you can even open your doors. Really? Do you? I don't know. These different expectations that people put on our fellow Christians, where are these expectations coming from? I was told, hey, Josh, if you're going to do this thing, you got to get ordained. You guys know what ordained means? I was told, you can't do this unless you're first ordained. In our first couple months as a church, I was at the uh, grocery store, which is not my favorite place to be. <clears throat> Very task-oriented in the grocery store. What do I need getting it out, right? I'm not the only one like that. And so I run into somebody, uh, a family friend, and uh, goes to a local church, and he starts bending my ear about, oh, what's, what's going on in my church, and my pastor's doing this, and my pastor's doing that, and blah, 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 just all this complaining, right? And I'm trying. I'm giving all the cues, you know, the social cues. All right, well, I'll pray for you. Okay, I got to, you know, that whole thing. And he's just not picking up on any of them, right? Just going on and on, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, complaining about his pastor. And then he says to me, you know, I'm thinking about maybe visiting your church, and I'm thinking, please don't. <laughs> please don't bring all that over here, right? That's the last thing we need. He says, you know, I'm thinking about visiting your church. The problem is, like, you're not ordained, and if you just got ordained, then maybe I'd come visit. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just spent 20 minutes complaining about a guy who's ordained, and that's what you want from me? What's going on, right? By the way, all of us who follow Jesus are ordained. I am no more ordained than you. We're all called and created to do something, ordained to do something and be something for, for Jesus. And then there's more, been more specific opposition and, and pushback that I've had to deal with. Um, there's a phenomenon, again, seminary did prepare me for this. There's a phenomenon where people come in and will try to hijack your church. Do you know about this? Where a Christian comes into your church community and says, okay, what are you about as a church? Okay, you're about being a church for people who aren't yet Christians. Okay, you're trying to reach people in a specific community. Let's be about something else instead. It's like, well, if you want to be about something else instead, that's fine, but go be about that something else somewhere else, right? <laughs> so there's a hijacker thing. Then there's a phenomenon that's a bit uglier than that. <clears throat> it's where people come in and try to take the church hostage. You know about this? This is what this series is about, shining the light on some stuff that goes on behind the scenes. People come in and try to take the church hostage. You know what that looks like? This pastor, you need to do this, and if you don't do this, I'm leaving, and I'm taking my money, and I'm taking my support with me. I'm holding the church hostage. Do you guys know that's a thing? Oh, it's a thing, and it's more prevalent than you might guess. 
coming in. If you don't do things our way, well then, we're leaving. And we may take some people with us. We may talk some smack on you, right? Now, when I've encountered this type of thing, the vast majority of the time, it's all been implied, right? You know what I mean? But there was one occasion (laughs) where somebody had the audacity and the boldness just to say it outright. Do it this way, or I'm out. Well, God bless you and your journey and your future with your new church, right? (laughs) So these are real things, right? Again, playing the comparison game, it's not that bad (laughs) compared to what others have dealt with, but it's been real, and it's all come from within the Christian community. Then there's this other phenomenon, and this is just kind of funny. This is just kind of funny. There's this other phenomenon where somebody, like a Christian person, somebody who's already a Christian, has a church of their own, leaves that church, comes over here, and then wants this church to be like their last church. Well, didn't you leave that church? Can't you just go back to that church? Well, at my old church, we used to do this. and my old church, we used to have these dinners every Friday night. In my old church, we used to have this program. And my old church never did music like that. So my old church, my old church. Like, well, just go back to your old church, right? <laughs> They'd have a big parade for you if you came back. I'm sure they miss you, right? Go on back. If you like it there so much, go on. Go on back. You guys remember the show, The Magic School Bus? Anybody remember that? Miss Frizzle? Yeah, okay, we got some fans. The Magic School Bus. There's one kid on that show, Phoebe. You guys know Phoebe? Okay. At my old school, we used to do this. At my old school, we never went on field trips like that, right? You remember Phoebe? The annoying one, right? Well, they rebooted the series, and they kept all the same kids except for one. They gave Phoebe the boot because that's obnoxious. And you know how they wrote her off? Well, she went back to her old school. Well, there you go. There you go. If you like something that another church is doing, there's an open door. Just go and connect. Go and connect with them, right? If you like what your old church did, go back to your old, go back to your old church. <clears throat> so that, that brings us to this hurdle, okay? <clears throat> I mentioned this hurdle. There's this hurdle that's an obstacle to all of us Christians. We need to get past this thing. If we don't get past this hurdle, we become critics. We become complainers. We become our own enemies. This hurdle, this obstacle, is our individual understanding of the church. This obstacle is our own individual concept of church. There is this unavoidable thing that happens here in the United States of America. It's unavoidable for all of us Christians. Our, think about it this way, our first concepts of church, for everybody who's a Christian, all of you Christians in the room right now, our first concepts of church are based on what? Experience. Our first concept of church is based on experience. My first concept of church was not based on what I read in the Bible. It was not based on me studying the book of Acts and saying, okay, here's how the church started, and then reading the letters of Paul. Okay, here's how we addressed the problems. My first concept of church wasn't based on any reading because I couldn't read. I was three years old when we connected with our first church. And so my first concept of church was based just on Experience, okay, sure, that's unavoidable. But what if your experience in church doesn't line up with what Scripture says about church? And so for all of us Christians, our first concept of church is based on what we experience. And then some Christians go beyond that, and they leave that first church setting, and they go and sample what other churches are like. And so so, so many of us Christians, and maybe you're the, example, you're, maybe you're the ex- exception to this, okay? But so many of us Christians, we develop a concept of church that's based on experience and preference. I know what I know, 
and I like what I like, and that's what church should be. Right? I know what I know, and I like what I like, and that's what church should be. Now, of course, the ideal that we're going for here, shouldn't we be basing our concept of church on what Scripture says? You know, when we... <clears throat> When we create this concept of church based on experiences and preferences, then we create expectations of what church should be that are not biblical. And then, when a church or a pastor or leader fails to live up to our unbiblical expectations, then what do we do? We criticize, we accuse, we oppose, and we tear down. So there's lots of simple things. You know, you grow up in a church and you believe that somebody's got to be ordained in a certain way. That's what you've experienced and that's what you like. And so you think, well, that's what, how it should be, Right? Or you grow up in a church setting, you have this first church experience, and there's a certain kind of music, and so you just think, well, that's what the music's supposed to be, right? We just develop this set of expectations, and, and unfortunately, these expectations are not necessarily based on Scripture. Now, you like a certain kind of preaching, a certain style of music, a certain this, a certain that, a certain kind of programming. Is any of it, is any of it based on Scripture? This is how we end up becoming the enemy of the church. Not because what pastors or, or Christian authors or what church leaders are doing is wrong just because they're not living up to our unbiblical expectations. All right, let's take a look at this passage from Matthew that's in your bulletin. This is in the midst of the sermon on the mountain. That's what we call it because Jesus gave this certain sermon on the mountainside. These are the words of Jesus. So he's going through this, this um, section that we have called the Beatitudes. And he's bringing that to a close. And he said, blessed are those who are persecuted, specifically, because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he gets more specific, talking to his followers. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Guys, it's a blessing when you're insulted Someone's trying to tear you down or oppose you if what you're doing is actually and truly in the name of Jesus. He goes on to say, rejoice. <laughs> rejoice and be glad. You know, that's not, our, that's not our instinct as human beings when we face opposition, when we're doing something, we feel like I'm doing something for Jesus, I'm doing something good, and why are people giving me a hard time? Ah. Well, rejoice. Why? Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, okay? For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Who's the they in that sentence? Who is it that persecuted the prophets that God sent to Israel? It was Israel. <laughs> it was the Israelites. God would send a leader, a prophet, Somebody to the nation of Israel with a tough message or a hard message or a word of correction or whatever it was, and who would tear that person down? It came from within. It came from within. Take a look at this. Matthew 23. I'll read this for us. Matthew 23. Jesus is going through a series of woes. Woe to you. He's talking to the religious establishment, specifically Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes. Matthew 23, verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous 
And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding, the blood of the prophets. You know, if we had been alive back in those days, we wouldn't have done what our ancestors did. We would have actually listened to the prophets. Jesus continues. He says, so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. There is a pattern all throughout Scripture, Old Testament into New. God sends a prophet, a hero, a leader to the people, and the people reject, harm, in some cases kill that prophet. Jesus says, we're just doing this over and over again. Go ahead and finish what you started. They'll do the same thing to Jesus. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is action-packed, by the way. Give that a read before kickoff if you have time. John chapter 1. John tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, that John tells us that Jesus was sent to that which was his own. He was sent to his own people, and yet his own did not receive him. This is the pattern. What did Jesus do? What did he do wrong? He was accused of being a blasphemer. He was accused of contradicting Scripture. Guess what? Jesus didn't do anything that contradicted Scripture. What he did is he contradicted their misunderstanding of Scripture. You know, the religious establishment, they knew what they knew and they liked what they liked, right? They had their set of expectations, but their expectations weren't biblical. When Jesus failed to live up to their expectations, they said, well, he's a liar, he's a blasphemer, he's a false prophet, and they killed him, their own people. This is it. This is the pattern that we need to escape. So here's what we need to do. We got to get past this hurdle. Yes, we've all had experiences in church to some degree. If this is your first Sunday with the church, this is your only experience, right? We've all had some kind of experience. We all have preferences, things that we like more than others. That's fine. But we need to get past all that and go back to Scripture. Go back to the Bible. Go back to what Scripture says and inform our concept of church based on Scripture. So let me ask you the question. Is your understanding... Let me talk to the Christians in the room. There's a few of you here today. Is your understanding of church based on Scripture... Oh, we all want to say yes to that. We want, we want that to be the case. But is it, really based, is it really based on Scripture? You know, I mentioned uh, Francis Chan earlier in his book, Crazy Love. He, he tells this story. Um, he had a Jehovah Witness stop at his house, or at least a couple of them. I think they travel in pairs, at least pairs. Um, is that what you call them, a pair? Is it like a gaggle of witnesses? I don't know. Anyway, he had some Jehovah Witnesses come to his house. And they have some specific ideas about Jesus and his relationship to uh, Michael, and they've got some ideas about Satan, and, and all these things that really don't, don't align with Scripture. And so uh, Francis Chan just issued this, this kind of challenge out there to him. He said, well, if you, if you only had the Bible, right, if you only had Scripture, would you arrive at these specific conclusions about Michael and about Satan and about Jesus? And so the Jehovah Witnesses left, and he felt like, okay, well, I've, I've put a challenge out there to him. But then after he left, he, they left, he, he wanted the same thing about himself. He's like, how many of my beliefs about Jesus, about church, about Christian life, how many of my beliefs are really actually based on the teachings of Scripture? I think that's a wonderful question for all of us to ask 
No matter how long you've been in this Christianity thing, no matter how new you are to this, how many of my ideas about church and pastors and people and what we should do, how many of them are actually based on what Scripture says? You know, back, I don't know, 11 years ago or so before Hope started, I found myself having conversations with people, trying to explain to them what Hope Community Church was, which is really difficult, right? You're trying to explain something that doesn't exist yet, (laughs) explain what we're about. So we'd have those conversations in living rooms and conversations across the kitchen tables from people trying to explain to them what this was like. And time and time again, I kept coming back to this example. I said, well, what if if you could just erase the past 2,000 years of church history? What if you could get rid of it all and just go back to Scripture? What if that's all you had? Let's build a church just based on that. That was the goal. That's still the goal. Just go back to the Bible. We want to be, first and foremost, a church that is based on Scripture and secondarily based on our specific calling here in Delaware County. That's it. First and foremost, based on Scripture, secondarily oriented around our specific calling here in Delaware County. So here's what we need to do as Christians. We need to let go of our concept of church. If that, if that concept is just based on preference and experience, we need to let go of that concept and we need to open up the Bible. There's no way of getting around it. We have to read it for ourselves. I can't, I can't be your replacement for actually reading this thing. I can't, right? You have to spend that time. You've got to get into that book. This is what we need to do. Get into the Bible and read it for ourselves. And here's what you're going to discover when it comes to a concept of the church and what the Bible has to say about church, you're going to discover that there is actually a lot of freedom within God's boundaries. Now, there are some clear biblical standards of what's supposed to happen, what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be, but within those boundaries, there is freedom concerning things like where do you meet and how often do you meet, what kind of programs, what kind of events, and how do you serve the community. There's a lot of freedom found within those boundaries. But if all of us Christians... If we all, all around the world, if we use Scripture to inform our concept of church, then guess what? We'd stop tearing each other down. We'd stop criticizing one another. We'd stop making baseless accusations against one another. And we'd get dramatically closer toward the goal of unity. At the Last Supper, Jesus spends this time. He prays for himself and what he's about to endure. He prays for the people in his room. He's his immediate disciples right there. And then he prays for all future generations of believers. Do you know what he prays for? Not for, you know, let them all be safe, and let them all be happy. No, you know what he prays for? He prays for our unity. He prays to Father, guys, like I want all of them. I want them to be one, just as you and I are one. Let them be one. And somehow our unity will be a reflection to the world, will be a testimony to the world that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. We get rid of this hurdle, we get rid of this obstacle, we get rid of our concepts of church that are based on experience and preference, and we go back to what Scripture says, well, guess what? We'll stop tearing one another down. We'll get closer and closer toward that goal of unity. So our next step as one local church, our next step is to pick up the Bible, dive into it, and allow Scripture to inform our understanding of what it means to be a church. Let me pray for us.
Father God, we thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Jesus, we know that you know what it is to be human. You know the temptations, you know the struggles, you know the ugliness that it can exist in our hearts, the, the jealousy, the being prone to criticize, to tear down. So, Father God, I ask that you would just eradicate that criticism culture that is found within your church. Get rid of that, God. Allow us to find unity in the Scripture and being a church according to what Scripture says. Father God, we, we want to see the prayers of your son Jesus come to fruition. We want to be one. And so, Father God, ground us in your word and let us live out what it means to be the church according to your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.